Welcome to the Generation Iron Podcast, featuring the biggest names in bodybuilding, fitness, combat, and strength sports world. If you want to be a bodybuilding champion, it takes hours and hours every day of being dedicated and being passionate about it. As your boy here, Kai Green, aka Mr. Getting It Done. Yeah, Tune in to the GI exclusives on the Generation Iron Airwaves. What's up, guys? This is Vlad Yudin, and we are back on the Generation Iron Podcast. Uh, today's guest is truly special. I was looking forward to talk to him. I met him uh, a while ago when we were filming Generation Iron 1 uh, in California. He was very interesting because he's a doctor that's very knowledgeable in science uh, of, of health and fitness. But uh, when I met him, you know, he was tatted up from, from basically neck down. Uh, very interesting tattoos, um, very interesting, you know, designs all over his body. Um, and, you know, his interview was truly special because he was extremely understanding of, you know, health and fitness and bodybuilding and what goes into actually creating the physiques, um, you know, the award-winning physiques at that. Uh, but he's also a doctor, so he understands, you know, from the health standpoint, what goes in into doing that and all, all the risks um, that it might pose to your health. So it's very interesting, uh, you know, point of view. And from that point on, you know, his career really has been advancing. You know, he has his own supplement line. Uh, he's been working for numerous publications, and he's truly, truly respected as one of the uh, one of the pioneers uh, from the field of medicine that has, you know, contributed a lot to the bodybuilding industry so i was very uh, i was very excited to talk to him we covered many different subjects uh very a lot of practical stuff for training nutrition um so i'm sure you guys will love this one so let's get right to it i'll bring to you mr jim stepani how you been man it's great to see you i'm awesome how are you you guys are doing well yeah, you know, just staying busy, man. And I've been following you for years, man. Last time I saw you was a long time ago, but uh, I've been following your Last stuff, man. Me, well, you saw me probably at the premiere, and then it was in my uh, pool house <laughs> when yeah. we shot. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like your setup over there, man. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, well, now we're uh, now I'm here in a uh, four thousand square foot studio. So awesome. Are you still in LA, or did you move? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm right in Hollywood. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, congratulations. But first of all, how you been? I heard you got into some uh, some injuries and you were... Yeah, so I had a, some bad luck starting in 2007 uh -huh. um, with a quad tear. I was literally just jump, jumping over a... Um, it was like a structure, uh, almost like a river, but it was in the city. So it was like... Um, but I went to jump through and the quad literally tore. It was, I was wearing Vans, you know, slip-ons, so my foot slipped. Um, and the explosiveness of the jump literally tore the quad right off. Um, so anyway, that literally, that was in 2000, at the very beginning of 2007, that required four surgeries. Four um, surgeries? Four, to be fair. I went through four surgeries um, uh, at the end of January, one in February, one in March, and then one in April. The complications with swelling, I fell, retore it. There was a lot of <laughs> a lot of issues. So then, Man. then I finally recovered from that, and uh, and then blew up my left uh, side and had to get it repaired. Um, and so that one I retore again. Um, the healing process is, mm -hmm. is 
epidural, you know, because you can't contract the muscle. And, you know, once your muscles have learned how to contract with power and force, mm -hmm. it's hard to stop them from doing that. And so, you know, it literally just rips right off when it's trying to reheal. And so I had to have a second one to repair that. So I had that in June, but now what is it, February already, 2022? Uh, so I'm finally getting back to, uh, I started doing some deadlifts and squats, finally. Oh, you gotta be careful, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, getting back. You know, the, the nice thing, though, what I always say is, even when, when the injury, when I'm lying on the ground, knowing that's what's ahead of me, the first thought is, what am I going to be able to teach people from this right. experience? And the nice thing is, is when you have an injury, you adapt your training. And so you take on different styles of training and you learn you know, a lot of new ways. And for example, I had, I switched over to full body training because I couldn't do any cardio. Right. And so my physical activity levels dropped. I was on crutches, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, so I went to full body training. Obviously I couldn't train the lower body, although I did train the other leg. We can talk about contralateral training mm -hmm. as well, sort of keep that up. Mm -hmm. Um, but I went to full body training and never gained any body fat. Wow. So what's full body training exactly? Does that mean that we do all muscle groups on the same day? So yeah, so with full body training, if you really think about the way most athletes train, if you think of like strength and conditioning programs for mm -hmm. football players and different athletes, they typically train the whole body, right? Because the whole body's on the field. The whole body's always mm -hmm. playing. Uh, a bodybuilder is interested in focusing on their biceps or their right, but a, an athlete is really performing with their whole body all the time, you know, so they tend to train with full body. So you're doing typically one exercise per muscle group. Um, but, you know, so what I was doing was one, exactly that. But the problem with full body training is if you're doing one exercise per muscle group, what type of a pump are you getting? Mm -hmm. How much? Mm -hmm. Right. And so although your volume over the week, because you're training, like, let's say you do four sets in a workout, mm -hmm. whereas you normally would do 20 sets for chest, say, right. But you do four on Monday, you do four on Tuesday. If you train five days in a row, that's 20 sets, right? Mm -hmm. The volume is the same over the week if you were just training chest once a week. But you're not getting all that stimulation when you go in there like a bodybuilder trains, right? A real bodybuilder who's stepping on the stage of the Olympia, they go in and declare war on chest, right? They don't just go and go, oh, four sets, I'm done, right? Sure. They're not done until their chest is done, fried, right? And so the problem with whole body training is you don't get the volume during that acute workout, right? And so you don't get the fatigue and fatigue is important. It, you get, you know, growth factor response, hormone responses from that fatigue and that's what leads to muscle growth. So with the full body training, it's great for fat loss because it keeps your metabolic machinery turned on, right? Mm -hmm. and you're constantly recovering muscles and recovery is a calorie consuming process. And it's great for fat loss, but is it really ideal um, for muscle growth? So one of the things I came up with is a what's called a full split, where you train each muscle group with say a minimum of four sets, right? Mm -hmm. But on one day per week, you do a full bodybuilding style workout for that muscle group, right? Mm -hmm. So let's say one day was chest day, you'd come in and do maybe 12, 15, 16 sets for chest, a real chest workout, then you'd finish with one exercise for back, one exercise for triceps, one, you know what I'm saying, mm -hmm. to keep on the full body. That way, you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting that acute stimulation during the workout, all the volume, you're getting the pump. Remember, mm -hmm. a pump is not just about looking good in the gym, right? 
What does a pump do? Physiologically speaking, the pump stretches the muscle, okay? Mm -hmm. And there are stretch receptors that understand the muscles being stretched and it needs to grow and it stimulates muscle protein synthesis that leads to muscle growth. So the nice thing about the full split is you're getting the full body benefit of the metabolic stuff. You're losing the body fat, but then you're still getting the bodybuilding style training. So, so I understand. So let's say first day you focus on chest, you do the full chest workout, but then you throw in every other like one, exercise one exercise per yep. per, per body yep. uh, part. And it's just to keep that the the genes stimulated in those muscle fibers, and by stimulating those genes, you're keeping your metabolic processes firing. You're burning more fat throughout the day. And then the second day, you focus on let's say just the legs. Muscles. If yeah, you group and throw on, legs, okay. right? Mm -hmm. And then and then you'll still do one exercise for chest, even though you just trained it yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. And again, the point of the 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 point of that one exercise is really metabolically speaking, not mm. not growth wise. So essentially, when you do such a workout, you can eliminate doing cardio, right? Is that is that accurate? Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. Obviously, you want your cardio. Uh, or some kind of component, cardiovascular component for, mm -hmm. if we're talking about health, right? If we're overall, we're talking about fitness here versus just bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. um, and not, I'm not trying to say bodybuilding is not healthy. I'm just saying that's not the goal of the bodybuilder is his health. It's to be big, right? And, and muscular. Sure. Talking about fitness where the overall goal is health, you know, you want all those components of fitness, then yeah, you should, you should include some form of cardiovascular, not just, you know, straight up weightlifting, typical sets and reps. Maybe you do, you could still do with weights, you could do Tabatas, right? Something like mm -hmm. that. So that's not typical, you don't have to get on a treadmill to do cardio, you know what I'm saying? You could still do it with some type of light resistance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you find that, that the older you get, um, the more prone to injury you are? Um, is, that, is that accurate? Or? <laughs> that, that's a great question. For I just turned 54, uh, January 13th. So uh, let me tell you, I can speak from experience as far as getting older. Wow. Um, I literally can't believe uh, I'm 54. I remember when I was the kid in the gym. I was the, the, the phenom, the the 16-year-old. <laughs> Look at this kid benching and squatting all this weight. Now I'm the old man. It's crazy. It's so crazy. But yes, obviously, you are recovery. Um, and, and again, speaking as a natural uh, athlete, again, you know, your hormone levels start start dropping, your mm -hmm. recovery goes, um, you start losing muscle. And the other problem with getting old is your muscle protein synthesis drops, right? So mm -hmm. if I eat 30 grams of protein, my muscle protein synthesis doesn't spike as high as a 20 year old. Does. Mm -hmm. So I have to eat 50 grams, I have to eat more protein to build muscle and so it's far far harder for numerous reasons look there's no way around it as you're getting older you're degenerating that that's the fact right mm -hmm. if we really think about it we weren't meant to live this long we'd i'd be killed by a bear uh <laughs> or, or falling <laughs> off of a cliff or something you know i mean that's the we haven't we haven't been around long enough to have evolved uh far enough from sort of the hunter-gatherer if you will so we're really not designed to live this long so um i'm degenerating there's no way around it so really what my training now consists of is it's a little more well-rounded right mm -hmm. as we get older what i suggest people do and i'm kind of getting off on uh on some tangents here but um what i typically recommend older people do is don't just focus on 
being strong or, or being big, even if that's a, if you were a competitive bodybuilder and now you're 50 and you're no longer competing, if you're still competing, great. Keep going for the muscle mass. Mm-hmm. That's your goal. But if you're not, be more well-rounded. Include flexibility, right? You need to move. You need to keep your movement as you get older. Once you stop moving, you lose it. Once you lose it, it's hard to get it back. So you need all those components of fitness, like we talked about, the cardio, cardiovascular. So my training tends to be more well-rounded now uh, instead of just focused on uh, the muscle mass. But uh, because it's so hard to maintain the muscle, uh, mm. that's a big focus for me is trying to maintain it or even build it, you know, if I can, what I can as a natural athlete. So let's talk about the, the topic that I know you will find interesting, right? Uh, the topic you know about is, is contralateral training. Um, what is it exactly and what are, the, what are the benefits of it? Right. So what I was saying when I had the leg injuries is I couldn't train lower body, but I had one leg that was good, right? Mm-hmm. So I would do what I could, leg press, you know, leg with one leg. It was with one leg. And so what, physiologically speaking, when you think about this, you have one brain and you have one heart right? But you have two limbs, okay? Two sides of the body. Well, the brain is sending signals to both sides of the muscle. So if I, let's say it was an arm that I injured, I injured my left arm, so I can't use the left arm. And I go into the gym and I do curls with my right arm. Now my brain is firing signals that are going to both motor, both muscles, okay? Those nerves are still getting impulse on the on the left side, even though it's not doing it. It's not the same as the right arm, right? And then the other thing that's happening is I said, heart, right? So the heart's pumping blood to the entire body, including the non-training arm. And it's including the nutrients, the hormones that are being released from the right side. So it's gaining benefits. Now, it's not getting a direct stimulation, right? The mechanical stimulation, but it is getting the blood flow it is getting the nerve uh, activity going there. And again, it's not causing a contraction, but it's there's some nerve activity that's going there. Mm-hmm. And all that adds up to maintaining strength and muscle mass better. Obviously, it's not gonna prevent atrophy or muscle loss and strength loss, but what we find is when you do some form of contralateral training, you lose less strength and less muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And then if we want to, we want to talk about further, let's say the individual has a, an injury, mm-hmm. right? A bodybuilder has an injury. Like I said, he injured his left arm so he can only train his right arm, mm-hmm. try to maintain as much muscle and strength in the left arm. The other thing he can do is take supplements. You don't stop taking your supplements. Take creatine. Creatine has been found in people who have been casted, say, like their arm literally broken mm-hmm. or put in a cast. They can't use that arm. They find that those who are taking creatine lose less muscle mass in that limb that mm-hmm. was not active and less strength mm-hmm. so it's, it's short as well so it's not so much that you are getting gains but you actually not losing not losing yeah, what you not. have already fast <laughs> yeah. enough basically. right you can't expect your left arm to grow just by training your right arm but like right. i said it'll help to prevent some of the muscle loss and the, the strength loss that you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is very interesting. So, is this something that existed for a while now, or is this, is it a brand new concept? Oh, it's no, it's well, it's 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 well known. Probably, I'd say it's going back into maybe. Uh, don't quote me on this, but probably the 80s, probably 80s or 
So where it really started gaining popularity and, and people were knowledgeable about it. Mm -hmm. Is there a danger of, let's say, speaking of arms, like one arm gets really, really, you know, <laughs> big and the other one gets much smaller with that? So saying if, if one was not being trained? Yeah, like if you yeah. train one and the other one's not getting right. the same pump, right? You, you're going to end up, and let's say you have a, you have a long-term injury for like, I don't know, months, sure. you know what I mean? You end up with a really big arm, one arm, you know? I'm just saying, <laughs> could that happen? Of course, um, definitely. Um, but the question is, would you rather have one arm atrophied or both arms <laughs> atrophied? Right, right, right. So I'd rather have at least one arm. It's, right, I guess it's a personal right. question, right? I'd rather have one arm that was bigger versus sure. uh, this arm's too big. I want it as small as the other arm. Um, and, 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 of course, the other arm will catch up. Catch up for sure. Eventually. Okay, next thing is a lot of readers want to know is uh, pre-exhaust training. What is that exactly, and what is the proper way of doing a pre-exhaust training? So, you know, what's really interesting about pre-exhaust is um, there are two studies, acute studies. There's, there's, there's about four studies in the literature that I can call upon when we're talking about pre-exhaust. Two of them are acute, meaning they just looked at what was happening during the workout. Mm -hmm. and two of them are long-term, meaning they trained that way for like eight or 12 weeks, okay? So let's first talk about the acute ones. Okay, but before we talk about the acute, let's talk about what is pre-exhaust because right. most people don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. If you ask most bodybuilders, they'll tell you, you pre-exhaust by doing a single joint movement, right? So let's say it's chest by mm -hmm. doing flies and then following it with a multi-joint movement like the bench press. Mm -hmm. Why? This is the... Everybody knows how to do it. They just don't know why. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's the, why, it's the why that gets everybody caught up and even the researchers. Okay. So the why is not because it's going to stimulate the pecs more. Okay. The name tells you what it's doing. It's to exhaust the pecs. So these researchers, and this is two independent labs published in the journal of strength and conditioning research. And I, I know the publisher personally and told them the, the flaws in the study, but these were published. So they published two studies saying that pre-exhaust doesn't work. Why did they conclude that? Because they looked at EMG data in the chest. So they measured how much muscle activity was being done in the chest, right? And then the supporting muscles during the bench press, the shoulders and the triceps. So when they did the pre-exhaust first, they did the chest fly, first and then did the bench press there was less muscle activity of the pecs mm -hmm. than if they just did the bench press fresh right mm -hmm. because the prior exercise exhausted the pecs and but they concluded that pre-exhaust doesn't work because it doesn't increase muscle activity but it that's not what it's supposed to do when you exhaust the muscle, it can't fire anymore, so it's going to have less electrical activity, right? Mm -hmm. So they actually proved that it works. It exhausted the muscle. An exhausted muscle fires with less electrical activity because it's exhausted. That is why you do pre-exhaust so that when you finish the set on bench press, you finish the set because the pecs were exhausted, not the triceps, not the shoulders. If you came in and did chest first and you have very strong triceps, mm -hmm. right? Or mm -hmm. let's say 
actually, let's flip that around. You have very weak triceps through your limiting factor. Your triceps are going to fatigue before your pecs. So you're never going to stimulate your pecs adequately enough with the bench press. Mm -hmm. So one of the tricks you can use is to pre-exhaust the pecs so that now you end that set when the pecs are exhausted, right? And like I said before, with full body training, exhaustion is an important role in muscle growth because of the growth factor release that you get, the hormone release. Reaching muscle exhaustion is important for muscle growth. So they're showing that it actually works, but they were concluding incorrectly that it didn't work because they're not sure what pre-exhaust is as most bodybuilders are mm -hmm. is it kind of like is it kind of like doing a superset you know what a superset you do it from one thing to it the is other a superset, thing. So you don't really pass um you do the right mm -hmm. you, it's a pre-exhaust superset but it, that doesn't you, you still don't need to do it back to back without any you can take a little bit of rest because the muscle's been fatigued and even though if you rest a few minutes, it's still going to be fatigued when you get to the bench press. So that's less important. But yes, it's typically done as a superset that way. So in your opinion, you would recommend do, using the pre-exhaust? Yeah. So in the other, so there were two, like I said, there were also two long-term studies. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of them found no real difference between pre-exhaust and typical training. Mm -hmm. The bench first, right? Mm -hmm. And then you finish the workout eyes or single joint movements okay they found no difference but again remember you can't compare workouts that way you can't compare one workout to the other to see which one is best mm -hmm. workout programs require change right so you need variety if you do the same type of training you're you're never going to adapt and progress you need to change it up so you can't really just take some people who work out and put them on two different programs to really see which one is better, okay? Because if you ask me what the best program is for you, I'll tell you it's the one that you're not doing. Meaning, when you're done with the program you're currently doing, you need to switch it up. If you're doing 10 reps per set, three sets, when you're done with that workout, you now need something different, 20 reps per set. Uh, fewer, you know, you need, you need change. So in that context, pre-exhaust is variety. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's a different way to train. It's a different way to stimulate the muscle. You can't really look at it as a, which one is better? This one, it's, when is it better for you? If you've been doing straight sets for the last two years, pre-exhaust for six to eight weeks is probably gonna help you mm -hmm. because you've changed it up, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You've changed it up. You've provided a different way to stimulate the muscle. And that's what it's really, really about. Interestingly, though, a second study in pre-exhaust where they had them do it for 12 weeks actually found a trend. And again, it wasn't st strong statistics. They found great strength in the pre-exhaust group, which is bizarre, but also greater muscle, uh, muscle thickness in the uh, leg, which is what the muscle they were studying. So, mm -hmm. um, so again, there's a study showing it may be beneficial. There's one showing there's no difference. And then the two acute studies, like I said, were just flawed because they don't really, don't really know what they're looking at. But anytime you're talking about a training technique, it's really not about which one is best. It's about variety. When does it work best in your program? You know what I mean? Sure. You sure. need change. Sure. Um, you've been doing this for a while now, right? From practical training to <laughs> doing all the studies. You, you know what you're talking yeah. about. 
Yeah, so, I mean, I, I grew up in my basement. My father, um, he was a Marine, a boxer, uh, and loved to lift weights and bought the old, you know, uh, muscle power, you know, all the old magazines. Uh, and I used to read those. So I literally been lifting seriously, like since I was seven years old, literally, like with a program and a goal. <laughs> so it's interesting in bodybuilding, right? You keep hearing two different things. One is like the science keeps advancing every year. There's new studies coming out. And the other side is saying, listen, it's all about just old school. There is no secrets or anything. Just lift the weights and, and eat. You know what I mean? Like, have you learned anything recently? Like, is the, is the science of nutrition and training keep progressing? Are you learning something different each year? Or is it pretty much the same concept? Well, oh, we're always learning. You know, I mean, that's the great thing about science. You know, we're always learning. You know, there was a time when I was first at the at Weeder at Muscle and Fitness as the senior science editor. There was a time when all of us, all every research scientist out there was telling you to not drink casein around workouts, casein protein. It was too slow. It wouldn't provide a benefit. It just sits. It's going to sit in your stomach, you know, because the, it, it creates a micelle like an onion, you know, and it breaks down layer by layer. So it wouldn't be a benefit to your workout. So go with whey. Now we know that yes, whey is faster, it gets to the muscle faster, but when you have a slower digesting protein as well, it maintains muscle protein synthesis uh, for longer. So we're always, always learning, right? We used to say fasting will slow your metabolism. Mm -hmm. Intermittent fasting boosts your metabolism, and I was involved in research at Yale that literally discovered that. So. Um, you know, these are these are things that we're constantly we're constantly learning. Uh, one recent study, let's like talk about mass gain. What do most bodybuilders do to gain mass? They bulk up, right? They allow themselves to get fatter, mainly because it's easier, right? It's easier to get enough consuming of calories, right? And your macros when you're overeating, right? But what's interesting is that when they compared people by body fat percentage, the leaner the person the higher their muscle protein synthesis response to a high protein meal. Mm -hmm. So if you're gaining body fat as a goal to gain muscle, it's kind of counterproductive because it's lowering your muscle protein synthetic rate following a meal. So I'm not saying pro bodybuilders need to stay 5% body fat year round <laughs> to gain muscle, but you probably don't want to get as fat as you typically do in the off season. And, and again, I'm, I'm as guilty of it as well. I mean, that's what we used to do. We bulk up in the off season right. uh, and cut down for, you know, contests or, or for the summer. Since we're on a topic of, of, uh, of proteins. So I understand there's different types, right? You mentioned casing protein, there's whey protein, there's carnivore protein. Can you break down each one and maybe Explain the benefits of each one and when you should be taking which certainly over the so other. so exactly so as I was saying right when we, if we look at dairy right when we look at milk there's two main proteins in milk whey case whey is your soluble you know if you take a yogurt and open it up and dump it over you've got that like clear watery mm -hmm. stuff that's whey it's mm -hmm. it's soluble it's, think about that it's fast right and then you're left with that white pudding stuff that's the casein okay it's clumpy. And if you really think about how would that digest in your stomach, just by looking at it, that's really not a good indicator of how things digest. But if you just looked at it, you can kind of tell, hey, the clear runny one probably is going to go through my system faster than the, the, the thicker one. And that is the case, but it's more about the, the properties 
of them, their physical properties, like I said, the casein is like an onion. The molecules are layers. And so those digested enzymes can't just break it all down. They have to break it down by layer by layer by layer. And so we say casein proteins, and particularly micellar casein, which, which is the natural form of the casein you get in milk, it hasn't any, a lot of times when they take the casein out of milk, they use acid to get it out and that changes the casein, um, it changes the properties. But the micellar casein is the casein in its natural form. It tends to take somewhere, they say around seven hours to digest. Um, and again, it, it, it varies, whereas whey is very quick. It's in and out of your bloodstream within two hours. Um, is, that, so, is that good or bad that it's digest faster? It's good and bad. So that's the thing is, and so, What's interesting about whey is, right, everybody, like I said, we were telling people, don't have casein, it's too slow. But now we know that's really not true, right? Mm -hmm. Now we know you need slow as well as fast. So the problem with whey and the benefit of whey is that it's fast, mm -hmm. okay? But it's too fast. And so you need something slower on top of the whey. The whey gets there and stimulates protein synthesis rapidly so that you get it kicked off. But then that, if you don't, if you just had a, mm -hmm. a 20 or 40 gram whey shake, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be in and out of your system, right? But if you had the whey with some casein, then your your muscle protein synthesis is going to stay elevated for long. So you got the both, right? Or muscle growth, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, then when you're talking about, let's talk about beef protein, okay? Right. And let's mm -hmm. let's let's clear up something. You're not eating a ground up steak, <laughs> okay? Do you know what beef protein is? Collagen. Mm -hmm. It's not meat. Not meat. If you look at the amino acid profile of most of beef proteins, mm -hmm. they're very low in branched-chain amino acids and very high in proline because it's joint. It's basically cartilage. Mm -hmm. That's what beef protein is. It's beef cartilage. Mm -hmm. It's like bone broth, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's no real anabolic mm -hmm. benefit to beef protein. So just be clear. Oh, you're still getting the protein, right? You're still getting... Uh... Oh, you're getting... Of course, you're getting the amino acids, but you're not getting the right branched-chain aminos that you mm -hmm. that you need. You're not getting the right... Uh, a tight, you're getting higher amounts of aminos that benefit your joints, which is mm -hmm. great and, and beneficial. Sure. But if you're using that as your protein source for building blocks to build muscle, it's it's a poor choice. Mm. What what about a uh, egg protein? You've seen like some the egg, egg powders. Oh, egg is egg. Egg has always been the gold standard. If you go, if you go back, egg protein is great. Good, good branch chain amino acid content, and it has sulfur containing amino acids, which are critical for processes in the body. So, and that and that's why I have it in my in my pro gym, which is a blend. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the slow and fast the way in the casein, but I also have egg in there so that you get those different amino acid profiles as well as the different digestion rates. Mm -hmm. And um, is there a better protein, like some people take a shake before they go to sleep, right? Is there, like, what's what's the best one for the whey or, or slow for release? Bed? Yeah, yeah so, you go to bed. Right. so you would want to go with a slower um, around bed. Whey is fine, but make sure you also have casein in there as well. The whey will, like I said, boost protein synthesis quickly, but the casein will maintain it. Mm -hmm. the, so the problem, with sleep is that you're basically fasting, right? Mm, so we can kind of, and we can kind of segue into intermittent fasting if you'd like. Yeah, that was going to be my next thing. Yeah. <laughs> because sleep that you're already in, inter everybody intermittent fasts already, right? 
It's just what is your window? How long is your fasting window? Well, if we sleep for eight hours, right, you have a minimum of an eight-hour fasting window. Okay, what do we say is the longest you should go without a meal? Three hours, four hours, right? Mm-hmm. You wanna, if you don't want to increase muscle protein breakdown, you need to have a meal at least every three or four hours. Mm-hmm. Well, sleep is eight hours. So what's going on when you're sleeping? Mm-hmm. You're breaking down muscle, right? You're breaking down muscle. Mm-hmm. So once your liver glycogen, which is the stored form of glucose, once your liver levels of glycogen drop to a certain point, your body is now worried that you're not going to supply the brain enough nutrients, enough glucose. So it starts breaking down your amino acids in your muscle to convert them into glucose for your brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want that going on at night? No, not if your goal is to build muscle, right? Jay Cutler used to wake up in the middle of the night and eat. I heard about that, yeah. Yes, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he used to do. Or or you could go with a very slow digesting protein like casein, right? Mm-hmm. Which is going to be digesting in providing your body amino acids in the bloodstream, right? Mm-hmm. Those amino acids will be preferentially used and broken down into glucose versus the muscle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so you want a slower digesting protein at night, sort of help prevent the muscle breakdown. And that's why intermittent fasting sucks for muscle growth. You can't go 16 hours without eating without losing muscle. Yes, you can gain it back, but you're constantly fighting gaining the mm-hmm. muscle back. So you can never get, with intermittent fasting, it's tough to get over that gaining back. Uh-huh. gaining back so that you can shoot over and start gaining actual muscle. So intermittent fasting is basically when you have a window of 16 hours when you don't eat anything at all, just water, right? Or whatever. Generally, and the window can change. We can talk about that. Yeah. You can, it, go, as, you can go as little as 11 hours of fasting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's been shown to be benefit. Yeah, so explain it to me. Just So basically it's when you don't eat for a while and then you eat for a certain time, right? That's what it basically comes down to. Right. So you can, there's many different ways to do intermittent fasting. The, probably the, the most well-known is what we call 16-8, where you basically take your 24-hour day, mm-hmm. you fast for 16 hours, and then you have a, your feeding window is the rest of the 24 hours over that you have left, which would be eight in this case, right? Mm-hmm. So you have eight hours to eat, 12 hours to fast. What is the benefit of that? It's the break that it gives your body, your digestive process. Your, your cells need a break. It's very critical to have mm-hmm. a break. Most of your cells function on a cycle, right? Everything has a circadian rhythm. Mm-hmm. Your hormone levels, right? When you wake up in the morning, your testosterone is very high. Then it dips throughout the day. And then it rises back when you wake up, right? Mm-hmm. Growth hormone is the opposite. It tends to be low, but peaks at night. So. All these systems have periods where they're active and they're not active. Well, when we follow an eating plan like that, that has these cycles, and it's a longer cycle, we already do it because we sleep. You can't eat while you sleep, right? So everybody intermittent fasts. Mm -hmm. We find that not only do you get fat loss benefits, and it's not because you're not eating for so long, it's because your metabolism actually speeds up. You increase what we call uncoupling proteins, which basically makes your body a, a calorie-burning machine, okay? That's what intermittent fasting does. Everybody thinks it slows metabolism. It actually will speed up your metabolism. Now, the window that you can choose is different. Like I said, everybody already does it, right? 
If no, you sleep, sleep right. eight hours, you're all right. Mm-hmm. So the easiest way, if you want to try intermittent fasting, instead of just jumping up to trying to fast for 16 hours, is to start with 12. Make sure you're going 12 hours. If you go to bed, let's say 10 o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. When, when do you stop? Maybe it's 8 o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. So you just make sure that you don't eat between 8 a.m. and right, 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. and 8 a.m. And those 12 hours are beneficial, okay? It's very easy to do. We're very, like I said, we're already close to doing it, okay? If you just get it to about 12 hours, you can just go to 11. We'll have health benefits, okay? What are the health benefits? Well, besides the, the metabolic, get better glucose disposal. So we have less risk of type 2 diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. Immune, immune function is better. They're actually looking at using intermittent fasting uh, for cancer patients and, and, and other patients as a, as a, uh, as a treatment to help. Um, so there's numerous, numerous health benefits, and it really gets down to the cycle, having a break, allowing that break, and how long does that break need to be. The longer the break, the bigger the benefit, obviously to a degree, right? Right. You still have to eat. So... And do you remember all that sort of talk back in the 70s and 80s about low-calorie diets and longevity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Intermittent fasting provides the same benefit without having to be on such a calorie deficit. It's the break. Mm-hmm. It's having that break. So what does that mean exactly? You can pretty much in that window, you can, it, I mean, from what I heard before, you can basically eat whatever you want. And also, how many meals can you fit in? How many meals can you fit in with that eight hours span? Right. So if you're doing an eight hour, and some people only eat once a day, right? You've wow. heard of intermittent They literally eat one meal a day. Wow. That's all they do, right? So how many meals can you fit in? It, you know, it, it depends on how often you don't eat. Some people literally eat eight hours straight during that. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Especially right. athletes who who need more muscle mass and, and more strength because you're fighting, like I said, 16 hours of muscle breakdown, right? You've lost muscle. There's no way around it. You now have to eat back all that muscle before you can even expect to grow now. You just have to get, get back to where you were mm-hmm. every single day. So, um, yeah, that's one of the reasons why it's difficult to gain muscle is because you also can't eat enough in that window. But it makes it easier to lose fat, obviously, mm-hmm. right? But can you eat whatever you want, basically? How does that work? Yes and no. I mean, look, it depends on the person, right? Some people are are able to be far more flexible with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it depends on their goal. How lean do they want to be, right? Sure. Most people find that they can pretty much, within reason, they're not, it's not like you're eating a pizza every day, every meal, you know, or McDonald's, but within reason can eat and drink pretty much what they want. Like I said, within reason. I, I remember watching your videos uh, from a couple of years ago. You used to post on Twitter a lot. And you would, you, I remember you eating donuts, and you were doing intermittent uh, fasting. I don't know if you do it now, but back then you were posting a lot about that. Uh, you're posting donuts, pancakes. Yeah, I don't, so I'm not in, I don't do, I, I try to do a 12 hour now just for the health benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just interested in the health benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to be any leaner. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty much 5% body fat year round. Um, uh, and so I would rather have more, more muscle mass, which is harder. Like I said, as you get older, you need more protein. So that's my main focus now is maintaining that muscle. So, 
I don't do much intermittent fasting. Like I like I said, I'll I'll keep it around twelve hours maximum. So is intermittent fasting? I mean, for getting gains, getting putting on muscle, it's not the best. Uh... Oh, not at all. You're you're like I said, you're fighting yourself mm-hmm. because you're always you're always in muscle breakdown. So you always have mm-hmm. to make up for what you lost every day. Mm-hmm. Is, so it's it's primarily for health reasons, health benefits, and maintaining the the fat health level to you know leaves, to a degree. Yeah, it's great for fat loss, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people find they love it because it's yes or no. There's no like you woke up and you're standing in Starbucks, mm-hmm. with your coffee, right? There's mm-hmm. no oh my god, look at the cookies. Look at if I have two cookies now, and I don't eat my rice tonight, you're doing like this math constantly when you're dieting. All the time. What can I get away with? When you're intermittent fasting, it's yes or no. Right. No, it's not 8 a.m. It's not my window yet. Right. So if you're standing at Starbucks, it's black coffee, and that's all there is. There's no debating. There's no, you know, uh, little tricks you can play and, and manipulate the diet. It's yes or no, and a lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. It takes, it takes sort of the control away. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? It makes yeah, sense. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what about coffee? You mentioned coffee, right? Um, there's so many videos on YouTube right now, and they're saying don't drink coffee. It's it's mentally controlling you. Uh, you don't understand, but it's really like an addiction. Uh, I don't know. What coffee? Your take on it? Good, bad? So, uh, I I say good. Again, it depends on the person and your goal. If we look at caffeine, obviously there's other components in coffee that provide benefit. There's actually antioxidants, uh, and if you look at the if you look at the data, because people's diets are so poor, most people get the majority of their antioxidants from coffee. <laughs> Seriously, oh, wow. because their diet's so poor. But again, right. there are antioxidants in coffee. There's other things. But let's, what do we typically drink it for? It's the caffeine, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about caffeine, the benefit of caffeine. If we're talking about somebody who's under 18 with a not fully developed brain, caffeine's very bad. It changes brain connections wow. as they found, okay? However, in a fully developed brain, it can help cognition. It can prevent some of the degeneration that I talked about with aging. Um, so I, I find caffeine, uh, I, I don't demonize caffeine like most people. Same with sugar. You know, it, it, it fits in your diet as long as the goal is there. Um, and again, like I said, you're drinking it from coffee or whatever. There's other benefits as well, but caffeine itself can be beneficial. Mm. What are some of the benefits? Uh, antioxidants basically has vitamins. It gives you energy, right? Like natural energy, basically. Coffee or caffeine? coffee? Yeah, caffeine. Yeah, caffeine. Yeah, well, coffee. Yeah, well, caffeine itself doesn't have antioxidants. That's just one of the components of the coffee. Okay. Uh, the coffee beans providing the antioxidants mm. uh, in there, but if we talk about the benefits of caffeine, like I said. Uh, we see less cognitive uh, decline uh, and, you know, just general sharpness, uh, better cognition throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And, and interesting, they find that smaller doses throughout the day tend to be better than taking like a large dose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microdosing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it keeps you nice and steady and focused. Mm-hmm. What are some of the negative, I guess, of bad things that come with drinking coffee? Anything you can think of? Caffeine. Well, obviously, if you have a heart condition, right, mm-hmm. there are some people who can't, uh, or anxiety issues, it can mm-hmm. raise them. So, gotcha. 
Um, let's talk about alcohol. Your take on alcohol consumption. Um, you know, again, if you're training, if you go to the gym, you're trying to get gains. You're not trying to be fat. You know, maybe not for bodybuilders per se, but generally speaking, for people that are gym enthusiasts. Um, yeah, what I, do you think I, about alcohol? I'm Italian, so I uh, lean towards yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen all the health benefits of wine <laughs> and even hard liquor? You know, there, there, there are benefits, obviously, uh, obviously there's, there's health issues as well. Um, but obviously we're talking about in moderation. I see no issues at all in alcohol consumption. I mean, look, we can talk about, uh, what it does metabolically. Um, but unless you're an alcoholic who's consuming it all day long, you know, having a few drinks, and again, as long in, if you're getting ready for a show, it's mm -hmm. it's really about the macros. I think, mm -hmm. you know, because those are empty. You're not getting anything. You're getting calories, but you're okay. not getting any protein. Right. You're not get, even getting carbs. You're not getting fat. So, but it's calories that that are going to affect your you know total calorie consumption. So, if you're getting ready for a show or whatnot, mm -hmm. it's a problem on literally the the calorie side but mm -hmm. wouldn't worry so much about you know it's it's gonna make me fat you know it's again unless you're an alcoholic mm -hmm. moderation not a problem mm -hmm. so basically um you know that and that's the other thing i try to tell people mm -hmm. you have to why are you why do you want to be fit so you can enjoy life better right <laughs> well, <laughs> Right. You know, most people enjoy food and alcohol as part of their life. So, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, I guess the you mentioned the empty calories, right? Um, yes. Can, can sort of like people basically, right, they have a, live a normal lifestyle and go to the gym. Can they basically, can alcohol prevent them if they have, and drink in moderation on the weekends, let's say, can it prevent them from... You know, getting basically chiseled. You know what I'm saying? Because so is putting on the fat on you. Chiseled, sure. I mean, it's not. Look, if, you know, when we look at a, when we look at bodies, we have mm -hmm. a different perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, being bodybuilding, right? You know, like sure. you may see James Bond getting out of the the ocean, and everybody's just, oh my God, look at the abs, and all of us are like, what? <laughs> Those aren't abs. <laughs> you know, so it's like, what is the person's goal, right? right. Do they want? How lean do they want to be? Do they want to be 3% body fat? Then probably drinking alcohol in moderation is going to prevent them when I'm, when you're trying to maintain those levels. Mm -hmm. but walking around at 8, 10% body fat, it, it's not going to not going to throw off your plan. Gotcha. Um, I want to ask you about keto diet. Um, sure. For gains, again, for getting muscle. Um, is it good, bad, and what are the recommendations you have um, for those who want to try a keto diet? Right. So when I when I when we, when we talk about keto, there are plenty of times where I'm I'm eating keto, but it might be for a day or a week or right when I'm prepping for something. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the keto diet, I don't recommend that as a diet go-to. As a the, the last thing you want to do is go from eating 400 grams of carbs a day to zero mm -hmm. in one fell swoop. It doesn't have to be as, as drastic, right? And, and really, that's why keto is so popular is because it's used for short-term fat loss. It's great for losing a ton of weight in six weeks. 
But once you've cut out all your carbs and now you hit a plateau, where do you go? You've got no more carbs to cut out. What are you going to cut out? Mm-hmm. Protein, right? You're going to start cutting out your protein now to do that? Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, a much smarter plan would have been gradually decreasing your carbs as you stopped losing body fat, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just throwing them all out the window, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody's eating 400 grams of carbs, take them down to 300 grams. They'll lose body fat. Then in three or four weeks when they stop losing body fat, eating 300 grams of carbs, take them down to 250, right? That's a gradual, eventually they're going to be eating keto, but they didn't go from 400 grams of carbs to zero. You don't have to do that. That's the thing I don't like about keto is you need to gradually get there. There's no point in dropping all your carbs. You didn't have to be that drastic. You would have lost the fat just as well by dropping fewer carbs, mm-hmm. and then you would make longer fat loss. Mm-hmm. You know, but most people use keto to get ready for a, a wedding or a vacation. They want four weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Then they don't care, right? But if you're a bodybuilder who has to maintain right. your physique, maintaining a physique on zero carbs is not maintainable for most mm-hmm. people. And it doesn't have to be that way. What about, um, they, I heard some people say you have to be, in order to, to get benefits of the keto diet, you have to be in a state of ketosis. I guess it's when you don't have carbs in the system for like a certain amount of time, right? I don't know how long it takes. Yes. How does that, have you, have you experienced that? And how long did it take you to get to that, to that level? It, 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 it depends on the person and their activity level and their, obviously their diet, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but basically what you're doing is you are not consuming carbohydrates so your body no longer um, can rely on glucose as its main source of fuel so it relies on something called ketone bodies that get produced when you break down a lot of fat um, and, 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 and it's those ketone bodies that uh, mean that you're basically in this you know that optimal fat burning state because that's how you know you're burning up that's where the ketones come from it's from the fat burning mm-hmm. so the measure of making sure you're in that sort of high fat burning um phase and that's why you get that bad breath uh as well or it actually doesn't always have to be bad it can be kind of a sweet breath it's like an acetone uh because that's what the ketone bodies mm-hmm. and it stays with you as long as you're in a state of ketosis you, you stay you keep that breath Typically, yeah, typically. You also, your skin may smell like uh, ammonia wow. as well, which is from branched-chain amino acid breakdown. That's crazy. Yeah, I, heard, you, I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, so your muscles have to use, will use branch chains um, when, you, when you're very low-carb as a fuel source. Mm, interesting. And when you break down amino acids, you left with ammonia. And when you're breaking down a lot of amino acids, <laughs> that ammonia starts coming out in your sweat. Wow. What about a carb cycling? I heard there's like a split, basically. Let's say Monday you eat, you know, a lot of carbs. Tuesday you cut them down. Wednesday you cut them down. Thursday no carbs. Friday no carbs. Then back up. So like a carb cycling. What yep. I mean, what what can you tell me about that? And have you tried it? And is it beneficial? Yeah, I've I've used carb cycling for many, for many many years, and that's what I prefer over keto, where you just drop all your carbs. I'd rather cycle them. Um, and again, the, the, the other thing with dropping carbs is that 
your metabolism tends to take a hit when you're on such a low carb diet and it's related to your leptin levels. Yeah. So one of the ways we avoid that is by changing, instead of just going low carb every day for months at a time, is you have at least one high carb day. Mm-hmm. And it sort of resets your leptin levels, keeps your metabolism firing. And so that's one way to do carb cycling, where you're just going low carb, low carb, and then you have a high carb day. Or you could do different styles where you have different days, a high, a low, a medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's really a, a, an endless way to to uh, manipulate carbs in a carb cycle diet. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, so let's say if a guy comes to you, right, and he's like, you know, he's out of shape. He has like, let's say he has a thick waist, you know, he wants to lose weight, but he wants to maintain the muscle mass and he wants to still be in shape. Uh, what diet or training plan would you recommend for someone? I know it's kind of like general, but like generally speaking, to cut down um, your body fat percentage, what do you recommend? Yeah, I would probably put him on a full body program then um, because his goal is not maximizing uh, muscle mass or strength, but it's really about maximizing fat loss. And like I said, with a full body, you really maximize uh, fat loss mm-hmm. and then possibly on a intermittent fat fasting diet as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you take on cardio? You know, the do's and the don'ts. And I know that obviously you do full body training now, right? So you, you kind of recommend going in that direction. But generally speaking, cardio, what's the right way to, what's the right way to do it? You know, um, is it empty stomach cardio in the morning? Uh, does it matter really if you're an empty stomach? Cardio? And also like, should it be jogging? Should it be doing elliptical? Like, does it matter or just walking is fine? You know, what is your recommendation on cardio? Sure, and again, you know, it, it it's, it's pretty wide uh, mm-hmm. because it depends on you know the person um, in the goal of that person. So um, and 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 what they like enjoy doing. You know, some people love going for a walk or a hike, and some people hate it. Right? Mm-hmm. It some people love bench pressing. Other people hate. Other people just hate weights. It's hard for them uh, to get excited about it. So. It's really, you know, it, it, would, it would vary. But if we're talking about, let's talk about some of the science with fasted cardio. Mm-hmm. So, the, what the research shows is that there's really no, let me back up. Back in like the 80s when exercise science kind of first started and we didn't really know much. We looked at a lot of acute studies, meaning we're just looking at what's happening in the moment right then while they're exercising. And then we kind of extrapolate what that means, right? And so you may have heard of like the fat burning zone for cardio, right? It goes Mm -hmm. slow and steady because you have a higher percentage of fat burn versus carbs. And that's because it's not as intense. When you're as intense, when your exercise is intense, you need to burn carbs because they're faster. They provide energy. Fats are very slow to burn. It takes a long time to get energy out of a fat. It's a long chemical breakdown, but it's very slow. So you want, you want to have that fast, um, you, you want the carbs. You, you, need, um, you need the carbs, not the, for intense exercise. So what they mistakenly had people do is train at a lower intensity because you burn a higher percentage of fat, but you're burning less total calories. So if you looked at how much fat you burn total, you would 
burn fewer, but it's not even about that, right? Mm-hmm. The when we're doing cardio in fat, we're talking about fat loss, it's about fat loss throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So you can't look at what's happening just during the workout. You have to work look at what's happening in the body the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. So even though if you burn more fat during the workout, what happens is you burn less fat when the workout's over and you use more carbs now for recovery. But if you burn more carbs during the workout, when the workout is over, you would burn more fat during mm-hmm. recovery. Mm-hmm. Now, how long is a day? 24 hours, right? Mm-hmm. How long can you work out in a day? One hour, maybe two hours? Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's two hours where you're maximizing fat burning during your workout, but there's 22 hours left in the day. So do you want to maximize fat burning for two hours or do you want to maximize fat burning for 22 hours of the day? 22 hours. 22, right? right? So the way you do that is by training intensely, as intense as possible during the workout and not worry about fat burning during the workout at all. In fact, you want to be burning carbs. You want to be so intense that you're burning carbs because now when the workout's over, your body won't dare burn carbs to recover because mm-hmm. it needs those for the next workout. It's going to rely on the fat to recover. So. Right burning fat more the rest of the day. That's why high intensity interval training works so well. Even though the workouts are 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And they've compared, they've literally compared uh, 30 second sprints mm-hmm. to 30 minutes of running. The 30 second sprints burned more fat than 30 minutes of running. That's crazy. Wow. Yes. It's because of the metabolic boost you get the rest of the day. Which is why you mean, so let's get back to the fasted part. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you're burning more fat during that cardio session. You're going to now burn fewer fat the rest of the day. So it doesn't play out. It doesn't play out. The only time I would recommend fasted cardio is if you're getting ready for a show mm-hmm. and you're literally trying to get every last percent of fat off your body because that's a little trick that might help you, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're a, at 10% body fat, it's not going to make a difference if you're fasted or not. In fact, you're better off not being fasted so that you can train harder, right? Mm-hmm. You'd have more energy if you had a, you know, had a protein. So how does one do the sprints, for example? Like, let's say you're in the gym, there's a treadmill there, right? How do you, right. so, and how many sprints they, are you supposed okay. to be doing? So this is what they did. They took a, one group mm-hmm. and they had them run 30 minutes three times a week. Then they had another group do 30-second sprints as sets. They did four to six of those, right? Four to six. 30 seconds, and then they rested four minutes. You don't have to rest four minutes, but... And then they repeated 30 seconds. So they either did two minutes, four, or 30-second sprints would be two minutes of exercise, or they did three minutes of exercise. Mm -hmm. That was it for the day. Two to three minutes of total exercise. The other group jogged for 30 minutes three times a week. The sprinting group, and, and again, I'd have to look, lost, I think, double the body fat as the jogging. Wow. That's and it, amazing. And it gets, and it, what I like about this study is it so clearly shows you it's not about what happens during the workout because mm-hmm. the workout was two minutes long. What could have happened in two minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Not much. You, you can't burn enough fat in two minutes. So what did it do the rest of the day that those people lost more fat. Mm-hmm. It ramped up their metabolism. 
this is very interesting. So can this be applied to actual workouts, meaning lifting weights as well? The faster you do it, the quicker you move from to doing your, you know, your reps and your sets? Like well, that's, well, interestingly, you know, when we're talking about like sprinting and then taking a break and then sprinting, that's, mm. inter that's high intensity interval training, right? Mm -hmm. When we lift, we may go and do 10 sets to failure and then take a break and then mm -hmm. do another, sorry, 10 reps to failure and then, right? Mm -hmm. What is that? That's high intense. Weightlifting is high intense interval training. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, right? It's just a, it's just instead of we think about high intensity interval training as cardio, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's just a cardio that sort of weightlifting style, if you will. Mm -hmm. Tense, then you take a break and you go intense and you take a break. What promotes, uh, muscle growth like doing heavier weights less amount of reps or a little bit lighter weight but but more uh, reps i'm sure you get asked that yeah. a lot it's very, very what's very interesting is if you look at the data on on muscle protein synthesis following and again muscle protein synthesis doesn't tell us everything mm -hmm. because just because muscle protein synthesis goes up doesn't mean that um it's not broken down okay we have what we call micro rnas so protein synthesis goes up, come and eats up all that protein and breaks it right down, okay? But let's just look at muscle protein synthesis because it's one of the things that we can assume uh, is leading to muscle growth. If we have somebody take away and do curls with 90% of their one rep max and they could only get, what, let's say two or three, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that weight. Or we give them a weight where they can do 20 or 30 reps. Mm -hmm. Okay, which one do you think would lead to greater muscle growth? Would you guess one would lead to greater muscle growth than the other? 30 reps or three reps? What would you guess? Well, I think I think I heard that somewhere before. But basically, the first one will get you stronger potentially, but the other one will make yeah, the muscle. Okay. Right. When we talk about what we call the rep range continuum, right? Uh -huh. That means reps in the range of three to six reps are great for strength. Reps uh -huh. in the range of seven to 12 are great for muscle hypertrophy. And reps of 15 and more are great for endurance, okay? Uh -huh. Okay, that, but that is not what I'm talking. Yes, that, there's some of that. But if you look at the research, uh -huh. they compare having somebody do a weight where they can get 30 reps, so very lightweight, they can do 30 reps, or they can do, let's say, four or five reps. Mm -hmm. Muscle protein synthesis is the same as long as they reach muscle failure. Mm -hmm. As long as they hit muscle failure mm -hmm. with very heavy weight or the very lightweight, right? Mm -hmm. Muscle protein synthesis is about the same. So you get the same benefits, same muscle growth. Muscle on stimulating muscle protein synthesis. That's not the only way muscles grow, though, right? Mm -hmm. the, right. Well, there's other, you know. There's other factors, right? Yeah, like, exact, like, heavy weight will make you stronger. Being stronger will allow you to use more weight on all your other rep. That will, right. Mm -hmm. Doing low reps will increase vascularity. You'll you'll literally grow more blood vessels. More blood vessels means you're delivering more nutrients, mm -hmm. you know, to those mm -hmm. in, in hormones to those muscle cells. So mm -hmm. 
you you can't just stick to one or the other. You need switching variety. it up. Is, switching it up is but probably the best, right? Is always the best because it's your the stimulation you get from weightlifting is not just about the mechanical stimulation, right? Mm -hmm. It's doing numerous things. It's increasing growth hormone release, uh, testosterone level. It's increasing blood vessels, right? Mm -hmm. It's doing all these other things that lead to muscle growth. So in the end, you always want variety. You always want to switch it up. And, and, and really, that's what my whole message is about. It's always changing it up, always having variety. Mm -hmm. You know, even a power lifter doesn't just go in and do it. Most people think a power lifter just goes into the gym and does one rep all day because mm -hmm. that's no, they never do. They rarely do one rep unless it's competition, mm -hmm. you know, and then and many times they're using very lightweight for explosive reps for the power. And so, um, you know, you need all those uh, different training styles. Mm -hmm. I saw yeah. one of results. I saw one of the interviews that you've done um, a couple of years ago. And um, you made a very interesting statement uh, that, you know, meal prep is not necessarily like 100% you need that. I mean, it's good, but you don't need it. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's, yeah uh, I, I see where you're going. Yeah, I yeah. hate, I am not a guy who wakes up on Sunday and cooks all my meals <laughs> for the day because on Thursday and Friday, those meals are horrible. And it's the same freaking meal I've been eating every day. I'm a, I'm a scientist, right? Mm -hmm. If I can't figure out how to eat on the fly, then no one should be able to. So right. I'm all about, I, like I said, I can, I, can, I can get a high protein, low carb, whatever I want, high carb, but whatever my deal is at any, I, go, I could walk into McDonald's if I have to and get what I need as far as my macros are concerned uh, with protein and carbs. So yeah, I don't do any, I don't do any meal prep. Yeah, but isn't it isn't it difficult? Like for example, when you go to the restaurants, right? They, they, it's how they prepare it, right? Like if you get a steak, it's it's usually butter and, and fast food as well. You know what I mean? Like yeah, how but do you, you know, you... again, I live in LA, so I'm spoiled. Oh, okay, there you go. <laughs> right? right. So I, yeah, I mean, they will cook it any way you want. You know, they're very aware of people's sure. allergies. You know, that's a nice thing living today. It, it's a lot easier um, getting having dietary needs today than it was 20 years ago, right? Yeah. People are far more aware, right? Uh, like I said, of, of just people's preferences, their needs, their diet styles, their allergies, right? Um, so I find it very easy. Um, again, you you have to trust them, but in today's day and age, um, the 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 staff is very aware and want want you to have a good experience typically. So I, mm -hmm. at least in LA, I find it pretty easy to get what I want ordered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the but point again, is, the point is, if you but, want, to, the point is, if you again, want to, you if, find a healthy food anywhere. Yeah, but let me. I'll tell you what the benefit. There's benefits to food prep. It keeps you on your macros. You you you, you make it exactly what you need, and there's no way around it. You're hitting your macros every single day. So uh, someone like me, I can do that because I've got the knowledge to be able to do that. But most people can't do that, right? Mm -hmm. Without having an expert to ask. And so for them, sure, it's probably better for them to have the meal already cooked and prepped than for them to walk into 
chilies and try to figure out how to get, you know, how to get 50 grams of protein, 20 grams of carbs. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. What about uh, the fact that the food is usually processed? Does that does that hurt the body? Like, you know, like the even the burgers, you know, what I mean, they process somewhere frozen. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the other nice thing is there's a big movement for food quality. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Grass, you know, sure. plenty. Now, again, I'm in L.A., so there's a ton of burger joints where their whole thing is it's grass fed, you yeah. know, yeah. it's quality, quality ingredients. So, sure. Um, but for the most part, I mean, you, you, you should be able to walk into a Denny's and be able to order a plain steak. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. What's the, again, not for bodybuilding, right? Because that's an extreme example. But generally speaking, what's a healthy body fat percentage that most people should try to, should try to aim to maintain? Um, yeah, so with body fat percentages, so you, 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 uh, you had 5%, you had 5%, right? Yeah, I'm probably around 5, probably 5%. And, and the, you have essential fat, right? So most like males have about 3 or 4% essential fat which is the fat that's around organs and whatnot that you don't get rid of however you can like i think one of the questions i was asked was ronnie coleman's like reporting like sub one percent body fat levels, he said right? he actually he said point he said yeah. point three three something like that yeah whatever it was it was under one percent right mm -hmm. and most people will say well that's impossible because you have at least three percent essential body fat mm -hmm. however when we're talking about bodybuilders who go to extreme levels and take extreme measures mm -hmm. um there are drugs that will destroy even that body fat the essential that's, that's, which is that's, not that's healthy a, that's it's not good it's a side effect it's bad it's very bad but there are drugs that will burn so much fat that you will actually lose your essential body, your critical, your critical essential body. And I'm not saying that's what happened to him. He, he uh, I have no idea um, where he got that number. I hope um, that's not an accurate number because it's not healthy to not have essential fat around those organs and whatnot. Um, but I know bodybuilders who've had similar instances where their organs no longer can support and it's not due to the growth hormone because they're so big. It's literally that mm -hmm. the supporting structures have literally been eaten away due to the drugs that you're taking to lose body. So, so it's feasible that Ronnie Coleman was actually correct. Because some people, when, it, when he said that, people sure. people disputing him and saying it's impossible, it's impossible. It's not impossible if you're using certain chemicals. Right, right, right. I got you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, sure. again, it's, pro it's probably not that low. But, um, like I said, it is possible to eat away at the essential body fat with certain drugs so mm -hmm. so for but regular people who are debating him don't understand uh, right i heard a lot of, i heard a lot of that yeah, they yeah. don't they don't understand what it what it takes to to sometimes reach those levels right but for a regular gym a serious gym goer let's say right somebody who goes to the gym every day what's the healthy body fat percentage that People should should strive. For yeah. To, so to. obviously, like I said, three to four percent is essential for males. You never want to go below that. Mm -hmm. um, and even like where I'm at at five percent, uh, you know, my, I'm cold all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, if I go swimming and, and you know, <laughs> I lose my body, you know, my body heat immediately. Um, uh, generally, 
they say you want to be around 10 or 12% for a male and a female healthy. Her uh, female's essential is somewhere around 12 or 14% higher because of all the reproductive, um, you know, the organs that they need uh, support with that and whatnot, uh, as well as breast tissue. Hip, you know. um, so they'll have more essential. Um, but again, healthy, healthy wise, it's probably looking somewhere around 18, 20% for a female. Female athletes out there would be horrified. But, um, we're speaking, you know, normal, normal health. Here. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people have, you know, high. Like for example, if you are at fifteen percent, would you say that you are on the obese side, or would you say that you still can be healthy, living a healthy lifestyle with that body fat percentage for a man? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I, you know, there's there's. Um, there's a lot more knowledge now about how should I say about uh, fitness versus fatness mm -hmm. um, right. uh, like when you look at somebody who's overweight right it mm. doesn't it doesn't just necessarily mean that they're they're unhealthy okay mm -hmm. we, we see numerous people who can maintain higher levels of, of body weight and move uh, are flexible of cardiovascular health just as well as uh, uh, anyone else. So it's very, very uh, individual. I would not get hung up on what your percentage, your fat percentage number is, as an, unless you're like 30% body fat, which is where you're getting into in city levels. Mm -hmm. That's when it's unhealthy. But if you're in the you know, 15, 16% range, especially as a male, that's very healthy. Absolutely. So um, obviously, you know, genetics is a huge component uh, when it comes to obviously the way you look, right? Um, do you feel like genetically some people are more prone to having a higher body fat and also just in general like the way your body progresses and responds to training is different for you know if you have genetics that, that certainly prevent you from looking or being more fit is that or is it just an excuse yeah I mean no I, I mean look we, I mean think about the hugest think about being at the Arnold right and mm -hmm. walking around and think yeah. about the hugest man you've ever seen at the Arnold, right? <laughs> I could think of a couple names, uh, you know, like six foot seven, 400 pounds and lean, right? Lean, right? And then you'll see a five foot two person who's 75 pounds, right? Mm. The human body and the, ver the, the variation of the human body is insane. It's, it's just insane, right? And obviously that comes down to, to genetic factors you have your what we call when we're talking about genes mm -hmm. uh, which is area i study when i was at yeah we have phenotype uh and genotype mm -hmm. um or, you know things like eye color uh height um whether you're going to be you know more prone to obesity and then you have uh genetic factors that turn on and off every single day um which you can control mm -hmm. um but anyway, when we're talking about genetics, definitely, there's no, there's no way around. We, we've heard it all, all the, all the time in almost every sport, right? They're gifted. They're gifted. They're gifted. They're, whether it's bodybuilding, whether it's uh, the Olympic, the Winter Olympics are going on right now. It's the same case. These are all levels of ex, of extremity, right? These are extremes, mm -hmm. very ex, high extremes, right? 
whether it's muscle mass or, or leanness and body fat or it's how fast you can run or jump or ski, mm-hmm. right? These are all extreme, extreme levels and you need certain physiological components mm-hmm. to to excel or be beyond normal, right? Your mm-hmm. cardiovascular, how many red blood cells you make, whether you have fast or slow, more slow twitch muscle fibers in that muscle that's so critical for your sport, right? As sure. a speed skater, you better have a higher percentage of fast twitch muscle fibers in your legs when you're coming out of the womb. You better if you if that baby is going to be a world class ice sprinter, right? Mm-hmm. You better have a genetic predisposition, right? Mm-hmm. The person who's going to win the Tour de France better produce higher red blood cells uh, and, you know, on their own, let alone the blood doping on top of it, right? Right. Top, right? But <laughs> from the get-go, they already better have, mm-hmm. you know, extreme capacity and extreme lung capacity and crazy VO2 max, you know? Mm-hmm. These, are all, these are all things that you can't just train for. Uh, you have to be born with, and then the training takes it. So, yeah, genetics are a huge factor. Even in, you know, what's interesting is uh, when I was doing my postdoc at Yale, I, I trained rats how to run, right? Wow. How to tread. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what, that's what we're studying. We're, we're, we're studying their muscles and how mm-hmm. they react. We do a study in humans to see what we get, right? Mm-hmm. So, the way you train a rat is it's a treadmill in the back of the treadmill. Instead of it just falling off, you have a little grid, and the grid is... It's you know it, it zaps them basically, right? it shocks them. It's a very it's a very light shock, but it gets them to get off and get back to running. There are some rats that just won't run. No matter how much you shock them, they won't run. Mm. Right? And you know, for years researchers would always say that you know, man, just some rats just won't run. Well, finally, somebody decided to look at see if there's a genetic you know difference there and there's there was there's a lazy gene basically just some rats oh, won't run <laughs> they won't there's a they're genetically predisposition to not run where the other ones would just run for hours non-stop That's crazy <laughs> so wow. yeah genetics genetics uh you know even like you've heard like uh mold in houses and whatnot right mm-hmm. a lot of problems with people would you know yeah. be aware of your mold in the bathroom with sure. the ceilings mm-hmm. and, and that's because people were reporting they're getting sick but they would find that it would only be one person in the house was sick and have all the everybody else living in the same and it got down to the certain uh if you were born in a certain area in your you know eastern europe you had a greater predisposition to be affected by this mold these interesting everyone else genetics genetics plays a huge huge role it's probably playing a large role in how people respond to a covid so do you do you think genetics also you know like we're talking about steroid use right uh without getting into specifics of each steroid but like do you feel like some people genetically can tolerate uh, different compounds and be able to not have side effects and be able to obviously use them for muscle growth, uh, also different sports performances, and and be and tolerate them much much easier oh, than a lot yeah. of other people? Yeah. You've all heard of like the young bodybuilder who on, was honestly natural, and then he got a cycle of drugs from somebody and died, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or just had all these horrible 
health problems, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and then you, and then you know bodybuilders who've been competing for decades mm-hmm. using steroids without any real serious health implications. Or at right? least that we, or, or at least on the surface that we know of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. So yeah, uh, obviously, obviously, uh, you know, genetics play. It, 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 same thing with smoking, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's people who've been smoking all their yeah. life, never get lung cancer, right? Exactly, yep. And then Sean Perrine literally died of, of lung cancer. He never smoked a cigarette. How do you explain? So sad. You know? yeah. So, yeah. so, so, this is a person who literally followed the best, never drank, never smoked in his life, followed the best diet. So healthy. Since he was young, since he, like me, he, yeah. his mom was a bodybuilder and got lung cancer. You know what I mean? That's... He was one of the healthiest uh, people yeah, that I've met. Yeah, it's a genetic. You, know? you can't beat those genetics. You can't. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's fortunate yeah. that, you know, that genetics are a huge role in everything. Everything. Uh, two more questions, Jim. I know, I know we've been talking for a while now. but um, So I'm sure you get asked that a lot as well. Spot treatment of stubborn fat areas. Uh, you know, people get them lower stomachs, uh, love handles, legs, whatever, right? Is it possible? I heard it's not possible, but maybe you know something that people don't know. Is it yeah, possible so, to, to spot treat those areas? So typically we say no, right? It's mm-hmm. not. If you look at, at anybody who's tried it, you know, it, it, it tends to not work out. You know what I'm saying? Look, mm-hmm. when we're getting ready, like take a bodybuilder who's getting ready for a contest, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly an older one, uh, an older one, because you tend to store more body fat over the years. You know, if you're 19, you've never had body fat <laughs> on your body. You can literally walk into a contest <laughs> with barely any dieting, right? right? Take an older guy, right? And um, trying to get um, rid of stubborn areas right it, it it comes off right you're dieting down for your show and then where is it it's on the love handles mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. or on the lower abs or wherever on you know everybody has their, their spots most men it tends to be lower back or right. you know obliques or lower abs right and, and you have that and it, why is it still there right and then you the only way to get rid of it is to keep on dieting keep working and in dropping your calories and manipulating your macros. Um, however, however, there is a study, at least one, that I'm aware of, where they had subjects do very high reps of leg extension, right? Mm-hmm. Again, this isn't like, I'm not talking like 10, or I'm talking like 100 reps, okay? Wow. It was more like cardio, for, but on leg extension. Mm-hmm. What they found was that the fat that the quadriceps used for fuel came around the quadriceps. Mm-hmm. You see, see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. were specifically able to measure where the fat came from. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the fat that the quadriceps were burning were from around the quadricep area, mm-hmm. fat from the leg, not anywhere else the body but again this was with very 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 high repetitions so okay so given that it might be possible right with very high reps to release the fat from an area 
Okay. So let's say you, let's say a female had fat on her quads, right? Mm-hmm. She can't get fat off. One, one way she may, again, may be able to is do very high reps. And then what I would recommend is to follow that with cardio because what the high reps did is free up the fat. Now you got to burn the fat. Okay. It freed it up, but it's now in the circulation. Now you want to maximize the fat burning by doing some cardio. And again, this isn't like just walking in and doing it. This is like very high reps. So again, how reasonable it is and how effective, I don't know. But there is data to suggest mm-hmm. that when you train, particularly with very high reps, the fat that you're using from that muscle is coming from that area, which would be spot. What about those machines with like a belt? You put it around your stomach and it shakes. <laughs> How about that? Does that work? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, my God. Dude, you know, my mom used to go to one, like, back in the, like, 70s or 80s, yeah, one of those. I've seen and it. I had it, because, you know, I was, I like I said, I've, I've been involved in exercise since I was a kid. So I had to see what it was that she would go to, and I couldn't believe <laughs> 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 Literally, it was all this, like, passive exercise. Literally, where the legs, it moved their legs. Um, there were ones that literally did, like, leg extensions for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody made money off of that, right? Of <laughs> those things. Yeah. Now, interesting on the belt, though, there is some vibration. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you know any, like, um, vibration plates, but those do have some benefit. Oh, okay, let's talk about vibration, because I've seen that. I've, those are actually modern things. You stand on a plate, right? Yeah. It, it now, you, I've now, used one, actually. I don't, know, yeah. I don't know how to use it, actually. But now, I, I used to consult for a company called PowerPlate. Uh-huh. And PowerPlate is a very, very high-tech uh, vibration machine. The, the uh-huh. thing is... You, you can't, it can't be some like cheap thing that it, it literally, you have to be at a certain frequency and amplitude mm-hmm. and the, the, the amplitude is like how high and the frequency is how fast, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be, there's a specific range that's beneficial and most of the commercial ones aren't uh, quality enough to reach that level. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a serious machine to be able to reach those levels of amplitude. Right. But those can provide benefit as far as flexibility. They've been shown to lower cortisol levels. So let's say, and again, we're we're not as clear on cortisol as we thought we were, but we used to use testosterone to cortisol as an anabolic ratio, meaning the higher testosterone was and the lower your cortisol was, mm-hmm. the more anabolic you were. So one goal of the power plate may be you get on it after a workout and it lowers your, keeps your cortisol lower, um, then, uh, then if you just stop the workout, which means you might be in a higher anabolic state. Also, mm-hmm. growth hormone levels have been shown to increase um, on uh, on the power plate uh, as well, and in, in, in numerous numerous other benefits. And it, it has to do with the way the body re- receives it, mm-hmm. because it's a, the body, right? The, when you're standing on a platform, right? Normally, you're just standing there, and the mm-hmm. body. It's like it's like homeostasis. The body's like, okay, you know where I am, right? But if the floor is constantly moving under you, now the body has to readjust constantly. And so it's this constant like math that the nervous system is doing mm-hmm. and then trying to fire back that provides that benefit. What I read about it, I don't know. Like I, I don't know the one I've seen was like that high quality, you know, but I've, I read on it. It's supposed to replace cardio if you just stand on it or something. Some people do like sit-ups, like they sit up, you know, do some kind of exercise while on the plate. But I don't know, you know. 
Yeah, it, 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 nothing replaces cardio. But. Right. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. But um, one last thing I want to ask you about the, 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 the you know, treating the stubborn fat areas, right? And you yes. mentioned before that the only way to do it really is by approaching the whole, the whole body. body, right? But what if, let's say, you know, if, even for a bodybuilder, let's say you look good on, like, let's say you look good shoulders, chest looks good, and it's just certain areas that are left. And if you're going to continue doing the full body thing, you might be losing muscle on, on the top and the bottom, but just not addressing the midsection. You know what I mean? Like, how do you still keep the um, the mass on top, you know? Yeah, because you're dying. That's yeah, because you're dying down, you know? Yeah, that is, the, that is a huge, huge problem. Uh, I mean, that's why professional bodybuilders have to rely on drugs, you know? Mm, because you know, yeah, you, you know, you have to stay <laughs> in the right? right? How do you right. stay, yeah, how do you, how do you build muscle while you're dropping serious fat, right. I mean, yeah, so like I said, you could try, like I said, very high reps for that area. Let's say it's the obliques, you do a lot of high rep oblique exercises and then immediately do cardio. Mm -hmm. Again, again, might, might provide some benefit. Gotcha. Last thing, Jim. Um, you know, how do you feel about today's bodybuilding, professional bodybuilding, competitive bodybuilding? Obviously, it's different divisions, you know. But we're talking about primarily, you know, men's open and and you know, we talk about classic and everything else. How do you feel about the state of bodybuilding today? Um, oh, well, I, you know, I'm a bodybuilder, so mm -hmm. I love uh, I love bodybuilding. Um, you know, I competed as an amateur. Uh, won the NPC Connecticut, NPC East Coast, went on to do the collegiate nationals uh, as well, even the junior USAs. Um, but, you know, realized I did not have the, the genetics, nor did I want to do the drugs that would be required to take it to the next level from there. Um, uh, and, and, I had, and I had an education to, you know, and, and I really saw that as my direction to stay in body right. instead of being an athlete i was never going to be dorian yates there's no way i was ever going to be able to put that much muscle mass um but you know um i had the science background and, um you know that's sort of where i steered steered to um but having that bodybuilding background is you know is critical because sure. you can't understand the the mentality of a person who will literally do anything to gain an inch on his arms. You, unless you understand how important that is to you personally, you'll never understand uh, a, a bodybuilder or, or even, you know, just somebody who wants to grow, grow muscle. It's, it is the most critical thing in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Look, that is the, your goal that it, it, it consumes you, right? If that's really, um, what you're into and so uh, that experience uh, was so important for me to be able to understand but i like i said i'm not i know a lot of competitive bodybuilders talk trash about bodybuilding today but again i never i i never stood on the stage with professionals so i i don't i i can't say that i have nothing but respect for everyone at every class um I, you know i love them i Body, like people say, well, should the drugs and bodybuilding look? Like I said, you can't understand the mentality of these people until mm -hmm. you, until you have have done it. There's that. The sport is not causing drug use. The people are. It, the 
the drive is within the person. Okay. When you want to be 300 pounds and 5% body fat, you will do anything. It's not because of the sport. There's very little money in the sport. You know, the, I, I, I have the hugest respect for any female, particularly female bodybuilders, because mm. there's so little money and there's so little respect, even within yeah. their own community. Yeah, and so. what they do, they don't care. They don't that they don't care. That's who they are. That's who they want to be. Mm-hmm. And I have the utmost respect uh, for those people. Is is it dangerous? Uh, is the drug use dangerous in bodybuilding? Sure, um, but so is driving car around an indie track. It's Absolutely. very dangerous. Absolutely. You know, it's 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 you know it's um, it comes it comes with the job. And, and and it's not just bodybuilders. Every sport out there when there's money on the line when there's championships when it's about being the best there you don't you don't stop when you want to be the best you go you do everything you can so when it comes to bodybuilding and the state of bodybuilding today i'm very very much supportive of the mass monsters because pe- people want to be trust me i i weighed 300 pounds in all seasons uh, because that I wanted to be huge, okay? That that you're never gonna stop these guys by by you can't change it. They they want to be that big, and they're gonna keep pushing the envelope. They want it. They want it as much as anybody and the fans want it, right? Absolutely. We all want. To, so I'm all for that. And then I like the fact that you have that the the different differentiations of the classic physique, so that the guys that can't push it to that level. Um, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Still have a place to, to compete. Um, and, and again, I love the classic physique. Obviously, that's what I'm sort of drawn to. But there's nothing like seeing Big Ramy, you know, <laughs> quads that literally jump off the side of a guy's leg like I've never seen before, right. you know? Absolutely. So I, I love it. I love it. I'll never stop. <laughs> well, Jim, listen, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time. We're going to take this interview. We're going to break it down into topics. And we're going to start putting them out. And if you're down, let's do it again soon, man. Oh, without a doubt. Without thank a doubt. I love you. love talking this stuff. So, oh, Thank you so much, Jim. Great, great uh, reuniting with you again, man. Likewise, likewise, like great talking with you. Thank you for we'll your time, brother. Take care. Yeah, All right, thank, thank you. you so much. Visit GenerationIron.com for even more GI exclusive content on all things bodybuilding, fitness, combat, and strength sports. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are downloaded.